You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, my special guest today is senior editor, columnist, commentator, and author, Rebecca Frankel. And Rebecca's going to be here today to talk to us about her recently released book, War Dogs, Tales of Canine Heroism, History, and Love. So we'll be really interested to talk to her about the book, how she got involved with all the military dogs, as well as her writing styles and uh, differences. So we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight, find out more about the book, find out more about Rebecca. So it's going to be a great show. Um, Special promotion tonight. How would you like to receive a free copy of my audiobook, Wagging Tales, Every Animal Has a Tell? Well, it's available now as an audiobook form through Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. By listening to this show, you have the opportunity to receive a free downloadable copy of the audiobook. Sometime during the show, I'll ask a question about today's author and book. The first person to email me at tim at petliferadio.com. It's tim at petliferadio.com. Email me with the correct answer. The first person will receive a free copy of my audiobook, Wagging Tales, Every Animal Has a Tell. So there you go. Listen closely and... Uh, Send me the email. Be the first one. You'll get a copy of that audiobook. So everybody hang tight. We're going to come right back and talk to author Rebecca Frankel about her book, War Dogs. Right after these messages, you're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And joining me now is author Rebecca Frankel. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Congratulations on the, the great success of the book. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty wonderful. Yeah, excited about it. Well, tell us a little bit about War Dogs, Tales of a Canine Heroism, History, and Love. Sure. So this book is actually sort of the big realization of a beat, if you want to call it that, uh, that I've been reporting on for about four and a half years now for Foreign Policy's uh, Best Defense blog, which is uh, run by Tom Ricks, who was the Pentagon correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, and he was then the Iraq War correspondent for the Washington Post. And I was working with him for a while just on his blog. And uh, as I got to know Tom, I, I found out how much he likes dogs. 
and that was a, a way that we bonded and sort of got to sort of know each other a little bit better. And uh, I was looking for some photos for his coverage about uh, the war in Afghanistan, and I came across this picture of Marines hanging out at their barracks in Afghanistan in Helmand province, and it struck me as a very different kind of photo, very different than what I was used to, to seeing, which is sometimes the much grittier images of a, of a war zone that you kind of become accustomed to seeing coming off the wire. But this is very different because these Marines looked really happy, and they were hanging out with their bomb-sniffing dogs. And the dogs looked really happy. So uh, I sent the photo to Tom and I thought, you know, maybe he might want to post it or run it, run it with a caption as sort of a Friday thing. And, and he did, but he asked me to dig around and see if I could find out more, if, I, if there were more photos like this. And it turns out that, you know, there's a really long history to dogs working on the battlefield along men and now women, of course. And so I started to dig into it. And then I started to write about it once a week. It's amazing. I mean, I'm assuming you, you never realized that at the time. I love how these these sort of things just that are meant to be just sort of happen. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I feel so tremendously lucky that this <laughs> happened. And, and in some ways, you know, Tom, whether he realized it or not, and I think he'll, he'd probably say yes, but he did because he was telling me this should be a book pretty much from the get-go. But yeah, it really was one of those serendipitous things. And, you know, I happen to really love animals. And as much as I am interested in foreign policy and the news of the world, writing about dogs was a, a nice side project, I will call it that, because that's really what it was for so long until I had the opportunity to really dig in, to take a break from work and just work on the book full time. Wow. So tell us about that process. I mean, how did you, how did you decide, okay, first, this should be a book? And at what point is it actually got enough material to, to put together a book? And then how do you decide to take some time off of uh, from your career to put your full dedication into this? Well, I feel sort of lucky that I was able to take off time. I, I think that a lot of writers, certainly a lot of my colleagues, you know, when you're invested in a different kind of job or even, you know, if you're a writer or a reporter, it's, it's really a full-time gig and it's hard to take a break. But for me, I felt like I really wanted to experience this world of military dogs. And that I couldn't do in a couple of weeks vacation. I couldn't do, you know, maybe one or two trips. I really wanted to go in as much as I was able. And that turned out to be, you know, quite a number of trips for longer periods of time. And I went to a bunch of different military bases around the country. I was over at the U.S. Air Force Academy Kennels in Colorado Springs for a while, which is a great place to go because there's a bunch of military bases out in Colorado. And I spent two weeks at a, a Marine Corps run pre-deployment course in Yuma, Arizona at the Yuma Proving Ground, which was intense experience because all the dog teams that go through there are going to be deployed, most of them into a combat zone. And certainly at the time when I was there in 2012, most of the teams went to Afghanistan. Some of them went back to Iraq. But it's also tremendously interesting to watch them train for daytime drills, daytime tactical missions, but then also they did a week of nighttime drills. So I learned how to use night vision goggles. And uh, it's not easy. There's so much to what a handler and a dog go through, even through the stories. You know, I would never have understood the breadth of it or how Mm -hmm. complicated it is until I was there. So I felt like that was really my job here was not to just tell stories through, you know, conversations that I had, but to actually get as close as I could. That's really fascinating. And to get it all set up, walk me through that process. I mean, I'm assuming it's just not a matter of picking up the phone saying, hey, I'll be there Tuesday to be involved in what you guys are doing. How did you get that all set up? Was it a lengthy process or was it a lot easier than what you expected? 
It was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, this is sort of like anything in life, I guess, right? It's sort of who you know. I was very fortunate early on to connect with a kennel master at the Colorado Springs at the U.S. Air Force Academy Kennels. His name is Chris Jacobin, and I write about him in the book. And he is is really sort of a humble, very reserved guy, very nice, very affable. But I didn't find out until a few weeks later or a couple of months later, really, just how important and just how good he is at what he does. And so once I started to say, oh, hi, you know, Chris Jacobin told me I should reach out, it just established this credential that I, I hadn't quite earned on my own, but because he was my reference. It made it easier. And as a journalist, you know, especially in dealing with military issues, you sometimes get stuck talking to public affairs officers who mm-hmm. certainly have an important job, but they're a little bit, can be a little bit like an obstacle or a filter. So, you know, in wanting to get as close as possible, I just sort of went through this network of handlers when, you know, in the military working, military dog community. It's a very tight knit one. And they're sort of apart in some ways from the rest of the military. And they're very tight-knit, they're very protective, and a little bit defensive. So it was very lucky for me that I found this one person who had such respect from his colleagues. And so I got to know him, and he's also incredibly talented at what he does, as were most of the people that he put me in touch with. So I kind of just found some people who were like, yeah, okay, you're fine, we checked you out, we trust you, and they invited me to come. And, And, you know, one thing, too, you know, I had to be a little bit, they were willing to show me as much as I was willing to see. Part of it was me just saying, like, if you guys are getting up at five and you're doing training, then I want to be there. Because, I, I, you know, I'm not sure that they expected someone who was coming in from the outside what, what I would want to see or what I would find important. And I thought everything was important. I didn't want to miss anything. You know, I felt very much like a very earnest student who was ready, you know, pen in hand, notebook ready. I was sitting in the front row just to see as much as I could. So. Well, that's fascinating. And I think it's really amazing. I mean, not only your willingness, obviously, to be involved in it, enjoy it, see what they go through, gather up as much material as you can, but their willingness to be able to uh, show you the whole gamut, it sounds like, of, of what they do. Yeah, and I think so. this is where I feel like reporting on dogs in war is actually a very serious and important way to tell a different kind of story about war. It's not really, it, and it is in many respects about how amazing and fascinating and how dogs offer a capability that humans can't engineer on their own. And we just haven't been able to, you know, no matter what kind of technology we try and create, no matter how many billions of dollars we're spending, dogs are still better at finding bombs. Dogs are still better at leading patrols out on missions. But, you know, through the vein of dogs, you're able to sort of establish a connection and a trust that, you know, easy to recognize in someone else when you when you get that they care about dogs or, or animals or that you understand how important they are. It's not just a story about a cute dog who makes for a good photo op, but you really understand how deeply critical or how important they can be and you value them, I think you kind of get a pass. You kind of are able to establish a trust a little bit easier. And that that was really an important part of this story. You know, the dogs kind of became this thread or this connective plane on which to talk about things that, that are kind of hard to talk about without that easy connection or that sort of closeness. Yeah, it's uh, dogs and, and, like I said, animals in general. It's a common denominator. It's a, a bond. And you know that uh, if uh, someone loves animals, there's a good chance you guys have a lot to talk about and also have a lot of uh, passion towards. So it's it's exciting. The process itself, how long did you do your research for the book? How long did it take to put it all together and uh, then obviously now get it out to market? 
Well, there are definitely moments when I was working in my, my home office and, you know, I have, I read so many books. I did so much research, you know, books from World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, all about dogs or, or, or just about war. And I'd sort of look at the mess of paper in my office and think, oh my gosh, how is this going to become one of those things? Like, how does it all come together? But I guess that's the uh, power of a deadline. Um, it sort of motivates you to put things in um, a process of discovery and I certainly had a plan for what I thought I was going to write, but again, once I was really in the mix of things and once I had met the people that I met during all these training exercises and then by extension, the community that surrounds them, so that meant families and sometimes it was families of handlers who had been killed in action. or And so it was more like a project that kind of unfolded and it, it really told me what it what it needed to be, but, but altogether it was probably almost three years from mm. the moment I left and sort of made those first phone calls to the moment when the book came out a couple of weeks ago. So a long journey, but one I would do over and over again if I could. Absolutely. And well worth it. The book's fantastic. You did a great job putting it all together. And, and I love the color inserts of the photos in the in the middle. It actually brings uh, even a greater connection with some of the uh, some of the soldiers and some of the uh, the doggy soldiers, we'll say. Oh, absolutely. And and that's the thing, too. You know, there's a lot of visual stories. You know, sometimes you don't really need to put words around some of these pictures, especially if you have a handler or a dog and they're sharing kind of a moment where maybe they're actually looking at each other or you just see a dog resting his head on a, somebody's lap and you know that they've probably just had a really bad day. It just evokes this immediate emotion. They really do tell us a lot. Absolutely. Well, if you had to pinpoint it, is there, uh, if you had to pinpoint one situation or one uh, bit of information you uncovered, was there a big aha moment or a big lesson you learned that you uh, had no idea you would learn uh, going into all this? I think one of the things, there are a couple of things that surprised me, but one of the things that surprised me more, which kind of made me realize that this is an important subject that should be reflected upon at this particular moment in time when we are, as a country, our military is making decisions about where it's going to be and sort of how it's going to transition out of war, which certainly I'm eager for us to get to a place where we don't need to send any more of our kids out to fight any more battles. It would be nice if, if that sort of ended. But I think, you know, often I found myself asking the question, why? And it, it was just because I really wanted a good answer. You know, why is it, Why are there only three weeks of pre-deployment training? Like, who made the decision that three weeks is all a handler needs with his dog to get ready to go to combat zone? Or why are you paired with a dog for this particular period of time? You know, to me, from the outside, and then once I was on sort of the inside of this process long enough, it seemed that the longer a dog and a handler were together, the better they work together, the stronger their bond. And there are certainly all sorts of logistical reasons, and I understand that military has a protocol, but I felt like at the end of the day and at the end of some of these wars, you know, people weren't asking the question why into sort of an actionable next step. And one of the big why questions that I came away with is why don't we keep these capabilities? We've just been at war for over a decade, and our dogs and our dog handlers have developed abilities and training and methods that we weren't using in past wars, and we only realized how valuable they were when we got on the ground there, and we, we started to see the difference they were making. And to me, if we are now at a moment of transition, it seems like now is a good question to ask sort of maybe not why, but what or which is the which is the best way forward, which is the best way to, to continue on and to keep our dog team strong and, and ready, because I think that those services could be applied to homeland security, or, you know, to our canine forces and our police departments. And they are in small ways. There are a lot of dogs being retired from military service that are going to police departments across the nation, and that's mm -hmm. wonderful. Some of them are going to border control, 
which is fantastic, or maybe they're going to Amtrak and the TSA, and, and, and that's great. But in terms of our military capabilities, in terms of our readiness factor, I do worry that we're winding down to the point where if we needed to pivot very quickly and send out our troops again, even if in small numbers, that it might take a while for us to catch back up again, and I think that that would be a shame. Yeah, having a uh, a large military presence, having a large military ability like this nation does, sometimes doesn't uh, make you as nimble as as what you would like. I think that's true. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, well, listen, we're getting ready to uh, come to a commercial break, but we're going to come back and continue our conversation with Rebecca Frankel, talk to her more about her book, War Dogs, and her writing styles and things that she's got going on. Of course, we'll hit her up uh, about all these dogs that she loves as well. So we got to find out about her furry babies and all the animals that have touched her life. So good stuff we're going to be talking about. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after these messages. You're listening to The Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com, the latest fashion trends for our furry friends. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with author Rebecca Frankel. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more to Rebecca about her latest book, but I wanted to tell you some exciting news, something at least I've been waiting for for quite a while. My new book, my latest book that's coming out, is now available for pre order. It's on pre order with Amazon.com. Uh, the book's called Talking with Dogs and Cats. 
Join the conversation to improve behavior and bond with your animals. So it's now available for pre-order. Go to Amazon.com. Take a look at it. Talking with dogs and cats. Uh, we're excited about it. And uh, get a copy. Get on the order list, please. That'd be great. So thanks so much for that. I appreciate all your support. So we're back with uh, Rebecca Frankel. Talk to her about her book, War Dogs, Tales of Canine Heroism, History, and Love. Now, Rebecca, when putting together the book, I want to talk to you about your writing process and styles. We talked a little bit about the length of the book. But overall, if you had to sit back and take a look at it, did you find the process easier than expected or a lot more challenging or somewhere in the middle? Hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I think it was it was maybe more difficult than I expected. Because once I delved into this topic and I, I really did a lot of research and I was going back through historical documents and I was looking at World War One and how they used dogs and I was looking at World War Two and then I was looking at the biology of dogs and, you know, the construct of their noses and how we communicate with them and everything I read was just so interesting to me and I wanted to just put everything in <laughs> that it was it was difficult to sort of make the pieces fit together seamlessly and to make it to make it relevant and to make it important and you know it was also difficult for me to narrow down which stories not necessarily deserved because I if I had put in all of the stories that deserve to be in here this book would have been thousands of pages right. <laughs> but which ones sort of you know made made the right points or which ones sort of linked together in a way that that built a narrative that would be interesting to other people and it was hard. It was hard to do. And also, and the best part of it was, was the people part. But writing is, you kind of do it on your own. And so at some point, you have to turn off the phone and shut your door and, and it just and just do it on your own. And uh, it wasn't as much fun <laughs> to do it on your own. I would have much rather been out at it, you know, training and, and being outside and, and just being with the dogs. Or, you know, I, I made some, some wonderful friends throughout this process and would talk to them on the phone for hours. I still am in touch with a bunch of them and have been over the years since I first met and their families are growing and, you know, they're moving around or their careers are continuing on. And so that's all still part of this process. I don't, I don't think it will ever really be over in that way, which is, which is nice. Which is nice. Yes, that is very nice. I agree with that. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I love writing about animals and putting it all together and getting the message out, but it's a heck of a lot more fun playing with them and uh, getting to know them. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit and get some comparison here between writing this book or writing books in general compared to writing your columns and writing for magazines like you do. Give us the nuances as far as how difficult it is to switch from one to another. Is one easier, do you find, than the other? Uh, what do you feel about that? Well, I think, you know, so I work for Foreign Policy Magazine and we have a print publication, but also daily news coverage. And, you know, writing on daily deadlines multiple deadlines during the day when you're reacting to news and you're or you're trying to get ahead of it is so different you know it's sprints and that book is really a marathon and also the tone you know the tone of voice you use is very different and the way the way you write is different and certainly you call someone for a quick quote for a story you can do that on the phone and say give me a reaction to what's going on in you know Liberia right now at the Ebola crisis and you get a quick quote and then you move on to the next story but in the book, what I tried to do certainly is to really marinate on people or experiences and let it sit and then carry those characters and those experiences throughout the entire book. And so it's a much different way of thinking. And it it is hard to switch gears, I think, to go from one or the other. And I think if I were writing, had I written the book at the same time I was doing this job, I would have would have taken me twice, <laughs> probably twice as long to do. And both are valuable 
you know, products to produce, books and, of course, news, but they're such different beasts. So it does sort of take a little bit of a different mentality. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. But I think one feeds on the other, at least in my experiences. You know, it's uh, to me writing for magazines, writing articles, writing columns out there, putting all that together and knowing you have to get something out and get your message out quickly still holds true with a book because you don't want to be rambling on, for instance, which in some of my writing I do, I will admit. <laughs> But you know you've got to get to the point. You've got to get keep it fresh and keep it right. exciting, so they'll turn the, you know continue to turn the pages. Oh, absolutely! And I think you know my years working as an editor made me a much better and more honest writer. You know, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I would love to just sort of write and write and write about one particular dog or one experience, and you go off on tangents. But then you really have to be very critical of what you put out there, right? And say, well, this is actually not important and it shouldn't take 10 pages <laughs> to get to the sort of middle of this story um, when really it's a two-page, not a 10-page. So I I totally agree. You know, you have to, as they say, kill your darlings in writing and not be too um, precious about what it is you're crafting. And then you have to let it all go, right? At some point That's- you can't. You have to let it go. That's right. Unless you're writing for your parents or your friends who are forced to hear you babble on. So that's right. That's right. Can't get away from it. So when uh, everybody picks up a copy of the book, War Dogs, Tales of Canine Heroism, History and Love, which everybody will pick up a copy. I encourage everybody to pick it up. It's a great book. Once they read it, what would you like to have the readers walk away with? Is there an important lesson or one thing you'd say, hey, here's what I really want my message is I'm trying to get across? I think there's probably two things I would be very proud to know that people are taking away from it. And, you know, again, it's sort of that this is not just because it's about animals and there is meaning in this and it is very important. And the job they're doing is is so much more than I think most people realize. And it's significant in many different ways. You know, the impact they're having on the number of troops we're able to bring home whole intact with their lives and, you know, hopefully all of their limbs and but also with their sense of self, you know, keeping them whole in body and in spirit. And then I think too to to sort of make sure that that doesn't get lost in the shuffle just because it's sort of in trend now or you know, people know about war dogs and they didn't before. I hope that they keep in mind uh, that they're important and it wasn't just for a short period of time, but this is really a lasting capability that we should use and we should use it more often. Well, I'm sure they will do that when they pick up a copy of the book War Dogs. Tells of Canine Heroism, History, and Love. I know the message will get across because you did a great job in uh, putting it all together, Rebecca. Thank you. So tell everybody where they can find the book. Where can they find out more about what's going on in your world, reading your columns? Give us uh, how can we follow you? Sure. Well, I have a website now. <laughs> I didn't before. It's just uh, Rebecca-Frankel.com. I write Rebecca's War Dog of the Week every Friday for Best Defense on foreignpolicy.com. And the book should be at most independent bookstores, which I encourage everyone to support uh, your local bookstore. And then, of course, Amazon and Barnes and Nobles is carrying the book. And yeah, it's out there. It's out there. So everybody pick up a copy of that and uh, follow Rebecca on her uh, website and Facebook uh, page as well. Now, Rebecca, we can't let you leave without telling us about uh, furry friends in your life. Do you have any furry dogs, cats, or others in your life? And if so, what are their names and what are they? Oh, so at the moment, I am currently uh, without a furry friend. Well, we can fix that, Rebecca. We've got a lot of contacts. Well, that wouldn't be so terrible. I have to say that, you know, I was, I do miss these dogs. I miss certain ones in particular that I got to know a little bit better. Some of them were friendlier than others, as you can imagine, and I totally respected that. But I did have 
a pet for a long time, a cat, which I was sort of afraid to tell people when I was writing this book. And he was he was a wonderful cat. He lived to be 22 years old. Wow. So had him around for a while. But uh, I think it's going to be a dog next time. There you go. What was your cat's name? Mike. Mike. <laughs> I won't ask. That sounds like... <laughs> he was uh, adopted, so I had him for the second half of his life. Oh, that's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned, I'll ask this then, is there a particular dog, uh, without getting yourself in trouble, is there a particular dog that you worked with or interviewed that uh, you found particularly uh, you connected with, resonated with? You know, there was a dog. I, I've written about him a few times, so I think it's probably already out there, but Dingo, who's still in the Air Force, I think he just came back from a deployment to Afghanistan, so he made it back safely, which is good news. And he was attached to uh, Justin Kitts, who is a staff sergeant at the Air Force. He's not a dog handler right now, but he was for many years. And I met him. He was an instructor at uh, YPG at the pre-deployment course. He was one of few instructors who were there from the Air Force. And uh, he and Dingo were in Afghanistan, I think, in 2011. And they had a they had a good tour together, and Kitts was awarded the Bronze Star upon his return for the work they did together. I like to say Dingo is a dog who smiles. He's a very sweet disposition. Apparently, he was quite quite the troublemaker when he was a younger dog, but he's mellowed out a bit. And, uh, yeah, he was fun to hang out with. There you go. Dingo the smiling dog. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, Rebecca. Well, thanks again for coming on uh, the show tonight. Everybody pick up a copy of War Dogs, Tales of Canine Heroism, History, and Love. Uh, You're going to enjoy it, learn a lot, and uh, the photos are great once again. So, Rebecca, congratulations on doing a great job. Keep us posted on what's going on in your world. We'll follow you online as well, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of the show today. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can visit me at PetLifeRadio.com. It's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon and listen to the shows and download the shows you want to hear. Not download them all. You'll love them all. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. Also, here's your chance to win a copy of my audiobook, Wagging Tells. Every animal has a tell. Here's the question of the day. Who is Rebecca's smiling dog Air Force friend? What's his name? Everybody should know. First person to email me the name of the smiling dog that Rebecca loves so much. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. First person to email with the correct answer will get a downloadable copy of the book Wagging Tells Every Animal Has a Tell. So good stuff. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>